Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from her perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm Agatha Ramirez. In this special two-part episode, we're going to talk about the Indonesian heroine Radena Jankartini with our guest Priscilla Riaberta. She's a third-year undergraduate student from the Department of International Relations at the Faculty of Social and Political Sciences of Universitas Kajamada. She's interested in Southeast Asian and environmental studies. She went on all-girls senior high school, which changed her perception about the meaning of women's emancipation and the importance of gender equality in Indonesia. This is part two. Kartini passed away very early. She was only 25 when she died of complications after the birth of her first child. But J.H. Abendanen, former director of the Department of Education, Religion, and Industry, arranged for the publication of her letters in 1911 under the title Through Darkness into Light. The book enjoyed great popularity and generated support in the Netherlands for the Kartini Foundation which in 1916 opened the first girls' school in Java, thus fulfilling Kartini's ambition. Her ideas were also taken up by Indonesian students attending Dutch universities. In 1922, an Indonesian translation of the letters was published. Although Indonesian nationalist aims went far beyond her ideas, she became a popular symbol and her birthday is celebrated in Indonesia as Kartinian. Joining us again is our special guest, Bertha. Have you read The Letters of a Javanese Princess? And what can you tell us about it? Okay, it's going to be a long explanation. Right. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Letters of a Javanese Princess is a compilation of letters that Kartini sent to her European friends, including Stella. Zehandelaar and Abendanun. I'm sorry if I mispronounced the names. Uh, during the period of 1899 to 1904, or around a week before she passed away. So, oh. actually, this book was first published in 1911 under the title of Out of the Dark Comes to Light, or uh, yeah, Habis Gelap Terbitlah Terang in Bahasa Indonesia. Um, mm. So, the letters consist of Kartini's various thoughts and ideas about marriage, women emancipation, her critics for tradition and religious practices that are related to marriage, and also her view on nationalism, and the usage of languages that are related to colonialism, and all of that uh, are beautifully wrapped with bold and evocative mm. words of a Japanese young lady, which is quite rare. It, it was rare at the time. Mm. And she had this overflowing passion to study. And even she repeated several times in the letters that 
she wanted to go to the Netherlands to study, but she even couldn't go to Batavia or, or now Jakarta to study mm-hmm. because she had to be secluded as a part of Japanese tradition uh, to prepare uh, young women to be good wives in the future. Uh, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, the seclusion lasted for around four years. Uh, however, I think the most interesting part of this book is that Kartini loved her family that much. She loved her father and respected him the most. And uh, from the letters, I got a sense that she was one of the dearest children of her father, although she was a girl. And Kartini wanted to make changes in the society, but she was pressured. And she knew that any changes would hurt her father, whom she loved the most. So uh, at some point in the letters, uh, I found that Kartini probably, probably felt that her parents could become the obstacles of her struggle. But at the same time, mm-hmm. she still had the duty as a child to take care, to take care of her parents, who supported her mm-hmm. so much. And I think this became the biggest dilemma that Kartini faced. Because this book is a biography that I found that Kartini changed. I mean, her patient remained the same, but the way she um, delivered the letters was changing. I mean, in the first year, she was more bold. Uh, in my opinion, she was more bold. She didn't believe in love and marriage. She criticized polygamous marriage. But at the very end of the book, I found that Kartini started to accept that she didn't have any choice besides getting married with the man that her uh, parents chose. And this man was her father's friend, the regent of Rembang. And uh, Kartini became his fourth wife. Uh, And I think it's interesting that actually the first and dearest wife of Kartini's husband who had already passed away because uh, before he married Kartini, was a big fan of Kartini. And yeah, she wanted to be friends with her and help her in educating her children. I mean, oh. uh, her husband's children. And uh, But because of that, I believe that Kartini didn't regret the fact that she married this man as they actually shared similar thoughts and ideas, and he supported her to open a school for girls. And uh, at the very end of uh, the book, actually, I felt that Mm -hmm. Kartini changed her mind, and she felt that she was respected, welcomed, and loved by her husband and their family. I mean, their children. I mean, the children from... Uh, of his husband from the previous marriages, yeah, and she was very happy when she was uh, expecting yeah, yeah. Her, actually. Yeah, her and yeah. I also found a very interesting quote. Uh, it's mm. I should teach my children, boys and girls, to regard one another as equal human beings and give them always the same education. Of course, following the natural disposition of each. And I think 
because of this, um, yeah, I think that family. I mean, after after she got married, uh, this marriage uh, changed Kartini's perspective on marriage, because because even even the marriage lasted only for less mm-hmm. la, uh, less than a year, but I think she was happy. She was not that happy, but she was quite happy. So you you feel that she, she uh, the, her miscon she had misconceptions about marriage that were sort of changed when she she married who seems to be the correct person. I think so, because uh, in in Japanese proverbs we have this proverb, "Trasno jalaran sekopulino." It's like. It's uh, it's usually used in arranged marriages, so uh, you can love someone if you are living with them continuously, like every day. If you live with, I mean, like if you're a girl and then you live with a boy, even though you don't love him, but if you live with him every day, and I mean, living like a uh, spouse. You will feel that kind of love. I don't know what form of love, but but that's how uh, the older generations thought. But how us. about you? Like, if you uh, if you had to go into an arranged marriage now, would would that proverb apply to you? Do you think or um, no? honestly, uh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I think my parents won't. I think my parents will never make an arranged marriage for me absolutely because but what if what if they did <laughs> no, just completely completely hypothetical would that proverb um do you think you would you would feel the same like you could learn to love someone um even if it were an arranged marriage because you live together i don't know probably it depends if the man has the qualities and the principles that i can agree with it's possible like because all of my grandparents i mean my grandparents from my father and my mother both of them were uh, they were going through arranged marriages and mm. i found that they i mean those couples lived happily mm. even until now uh well my uh, both of my grandmothers uh, passed away more than a decade ago but they are still single i mean my 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 grandfathers they didn't remarry yeah they didn't get married again okay yeah and they they said to me that my grandmothers were the only loves of their lives Mm. yeah something like that so yeah i think uh the acceptance that happened in the case of kartini happened because she married the correct person the mm. person that um uh As the yeah shared the same ideas how relevant is kartini's story to you as a modern indonesian woman do you in some way feel the same pressure she did to get married or what parts of her story do you most relate with um well 
about getting married um actually my because my family is a modern japanese family and mm-hmm. i also came from a devoted catholic family and it's actually not an unusual combination in indonesia mm-hmm. but because i'm the firstborn and i'm the first daughter of my family so actually my parents are counting on me and they want me to like pursue higher education and mm-hmm. yeah you know fulfill my potential something like that but they also want me to choose whether i want to get married or to join a monastery and like dedicate my life to god something like that and have you decided have you um i'm i'm uh to join a monastery i need that call from god but i didn't have it until now i think mm-hmm. but like um well my parents i believe that my parents will never put me into an arranged marriage mm-hmm. but okay. my my at least my mother said that babies are cute and like in the future grandchildren will be their biggest happiness and something like that so i think i will get married at some point in my life after the phd (laughs) (laughs) amen (laughs) but yeah i think probably for other families i mean Mm -hmm. in indonesia i think it's not an obligation for girls Mm. to get married nowadays i mean different it's it's different from what kartini experienced but Mm. in the case of my family if in the future i find a very very kind and responsible husband and build like a very beautiful happy family Mm. my parents will be very happy i think i can relate that to kartini's story i mean like her father supported her but at the same time he wanted her to get married Mm. yeah i think that's how it works how popular is kartini today what did you personally do on her last birthday in indonesia well almost all schools celebrate her birthday by holding a a ceremony so uh, we usually call it kartinian or like celebrating yeah kartini's day so because she remains the most famous heroine in indonesia uh, there are a lot of movies about kartini here uh, the government put kartini's names and biography in every history books that i've ever met mm-hmm. if it talks about national heroes then it will talk about kartini on her last birthday I took a picture of me using kebaya. It's uh, our traditional clothes. So actually, I was questioning myself, why do women during Kartinian always being associated as only wearing kebaya? Is that a mm. symbolism of a Japanese women? Or is it a symbolism of women emancipation? Or it has does it have bigger meaning? It's still... Mm this question haunts me but but like i i couldn't find the answer yet mm. it's only like uh i might say it's like a tradition in my not in my nuclear family but like my family uh that usually 
people, I mean, usually my mother and my my aunts use kebaya during uh, kartinian. I I don't know if it's like only the tradition or is it celebrating something beyond that. Mm. Okay, I'm questioning myself. I'm I'm confused now. <laughs> I took a picture of me using kebaya and just posted it on Instagram with an unusual caption that I, I thought for a really long time. I started to think about the caption like six months or seven months ago. So the caption, uh, uh, let hmm. me rephrase that, wanita, wanita, wanimanata. So um, it's like, the mixture between Japanese and Indonesian language. So, wanita mm. means women. Wanitata means ready mm. to be arranged. Wani manata means mm. ready to arrange. So, uh, actually in Japanese tradition, we call wanita or women as wanitata or ready to be arranged. So, women is someone who is ready to be arranged. But I put another caption. So, uh, women is uh, is someone who is ready to arrange, not only to so be arranged. So, let's talk about ready to be arranged. What does that mean for you personally? Ready to be arranged. It means that um, women are ready to be arranged by probably her family their families or their partners like women woman is someone who needs to obey another person so she is ready to be arranged she she will be arranged the next so the next part of your caption um, but you are also ready to arrange. Um, how, how, what's a, what does that mean to you? What, what are you um, your own personal goals? Um, thinking about what you what you were feeling that day, and um, so what does that last part of the caption mean to you? Uh, so personally, I think ready to arrange means that now. Uh, as a modern Japanese woman, as a modern woman, I, and also other women, has uh, have the power to do whatever that probably we couldn't think we could do, like pursuing PhD degree, something like that. It was probably like 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's not that far, but uh, it was quite, uh, it's an impossibility, mm-hmm. almost impossibility for women to pursue PhD um, degree. But for now, even though like a lot of Indonesian women does, uh, didn't really think about that, but all of us have the same um, chance to pursue that. We you respect tradition, power. but at the same time, you are uh, you do have your own goals and 
um you yeah. are working hard towards them you are when are you graduating uh i hopefully next hopefully year, next year. Oh, for the yeah. listeners of this podcast i met bertha during international summer school and i was uh, doing my masters but she was also but you were you were only in second year at the time yeah she was one of the most active and most intelligent people in that class so no, no that, that's the truth <laughs> so, um for the i guess my last question what's the biggest lesson you take away from the story of radina jenkartini um so actually there are a lot of lessons that we can take from the story of kartini uh the first one is that uh, uh her braveness and dedication for ghost education and also her passion to create more equal environment to both boys and girls and i think i believe that kartini would be happy if she had a chance to see the current condition in Indonesia, where there are quite a lot of female ministers in the government, and they let they lead those ministries that were and I think is are still considered as very masculine sectors like the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and also the Ministry of Finance, but. I believe that her struggle doesn't end here. And uh, right now, the society in Indonesia should still struggle for gender equality. And I'm sad that actually there is a trend of teenage marriage in Indonesia nowadays with like religious and tradition excuses. And Mm. I think uh, this could be a cultural degradation in the struggle for gender equality. Because young girl, young girls couldn't pursue higher education because of these practices, and mm. actually, I hope, I really, really hope that Kartini's legacy, and uh, including her thoughts and values, are still upheld by Indonesian younger generation, not only by those people, those people who were striving for gender equality in the past fifty years. That's a really great way to end this episode. Thank you, Bertha. I'm really happy that you uh, came on this podcast. I hope everybody listening to this would take away something uh, that they resonate with in the story of Radina Jenkartini. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Producing a podcast like this takes a lot of time and research. If you like what we do and want to support the next episodes, head on over to our Patreon. Give as little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes with all the references, access to the Close Friends Instagram stories, and a shout-out at the end of the next episode. And if you can't, just tell your friends about this podcast. That works, too. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HerStoryCPod. That's HerStory, S-E-A, pod.
In the next episode, we'll meet the Trong sisters, heroines of the first Vietnamese independence movement who headed a rebellion against the Chinese Han Dynasty overlords and briefly established an autonomous state. There are so many more stories to tell and we're just getting started. This podcast was written, hosted, and edited by Agus Ramirez. Special thanks to Kara and Mando for supporting this podcast on Patreon and Bertha for sharing her thoughts on Radina Jenkartini. Shout out to GF of Synchronicity Events for the ad and the Creepy Conversations podcast who mentioned us in their 24th episode. Go check them out. See you next time.